check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome back to the Frontline Podcast. This is Derek with Bob and Nate. We are uh, excited to bring this episode to you. I think this is episode 19 for us. So uh, so we're getting up there, and the number's definitely uh, moving closer to, uh, to to feeling comfortable behind the microphone. So that's that's always a good thing and a win for us. Uh, we are, uh, we're excited. We're going to be bringing you the On the T segment, as always, breaking down Rory's win at the Wells Fargo, as well as uh, making some picks for this upcoming week's Byron Nelson. So uh, it's going to be a full show, and are glad that you are here listening with us. Nate, why don't you kick us off? On the tee tonight, uh, as we kind of get things started, I know you uh, you saw some news today that uh, that stood out to you as somebody in the world of finance that that was uh, pretty <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so and I think it ties into some general current events in the world of golf with Rory winning because I think he is one of the factors, him and the uh, the big cat. Uh, but uh, it was announced today that TaylorMade was acquired by a. Korean private equity firm for $1.6 billion. That's billion with a B. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, when TaylorMade was sold by Adidas to a venture capital firm in New York, I think the the price tag was somewhere around five or 600 million. And I think that was in 2017. So Hmm. from 2017 to now, as golf has worked its way through the pandemic, uh, TaylorMade certainly has changed some of their strategies and structures and, and, and literally doubling, tripling uh, their return by selling TaylorMade to a Korean company uh, in only a half, uh, you know, a handful of years. So I, that was really impressive to me. I happen to see that. I think most of that relates to the fact that once TaylorMade was no longer owned by Adidas, they could go out and kind of seek some of these modified sponsorships where not everybody had to be wearing three stripes that also had uh, a black and white, you know, driver, right. Back in the, the original M one days or an SLDR even back in those days. Yeah. Um, there were requirements that guys who played TaylorMade had to wear Adidas. Well, obviously the, the first big signing as soon as Nike got out of the club business was they went and signed tiger. And then not too long after that, they, they courted Rory and, and he ended up signing with them. So, Right. You know, some really big signings, and I think that's really kind of the freed up of, of the marketing. If you watch uh, commercials during golf tournaments or any of the, the stuff, the, the material that they put out on YouTube, um, they love to make a good marketing video. And I think TaylorMade has always been really good at that, as, as has Callaway. But now that they can feature more people in it, you know, now that there aren't those restrictions around who is going to be one of their athletes and who isn't, um, you know, I, I think that has really made their brand that much more valuable. So it'll be interesting to see as they move forward. And I think Bob might have a little more insight into some of this, given the industry that he works in. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what twist or spin a, a Korean company would potentially have on an American club manufacturer based in Carlsbad. So, um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily what that means for the future, but I, I will say there was a period in time in which Callaway had passed TaylorMade in market share. Uh, after Mark King left and and went to be the the CEO of Adidas, and I think he left Adidas and then was the CEO of Taco Bell for a while. Potentially, you might have to fact check me on that, Bob. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what you know, what spin, what flavor it, it takes now being owned, uh, you know, by a, a Korean company. Obviously, we all know 
it, it was well documented and, and we talked about it on the podcast, the impact that Hideki Matsuyama winning the masters and, and being Japanese would have because Asia loves their golf. And so yeah. I think, you know, somebody spending, you know, a company in Korea spending $1.6 billion for the world's, you know, likely the, the most valuable and, and number one rated uh, golf club manufacturer, I, I think is, is a really good sign for the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's the interesting question that comes out is is what what is the what does change look like moving forward, um, and and how much change is made, how much of the core team that's there that's a part of their design and engineering department are still going to be a part of that department, um, it, you know, what what types of overhaul will there be if there is any overhaul, and will that impact this in a positive or negative way? Um, probably one of the things I think about when I think about this uh, like deal that has happened is the impact that it might have on the women's game, uh, just because of how many, um, Asian, uh, women are a part of the LPGA tour and, and a part of the world of golf, how popular it is for, um, Asian women. I, I, I feel like this is going to be one of those things that could really, uh, be a, a catalytic movement in women's golf. Uh, that that we see, uh, I mean, obviously, TaylorMade has a, a few uh, top name women's players, but but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know some of uh, like it just continues to 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 grow and and make the game uh, I I don't know more accessible, more um, you know I don't know profitable for women uh, in the women's game. I don't know. Like that's that's one of the things I think about of of, of just what might be an impact um, that it would have in, in kind of that way. Um, it, obviously, TaylorMade did a great job um, over the last several years, as as you said, Nate. Just just making sure that their ba- their brand was built around big names, um, not not just a um, a sports brand but was, you know, built around athletes and, um, and those athletes really are the ones who help get this, uh, this deal done. I'm assuming, I mean, you know, it, it would seem like the net worth of the athletes in which they signed, um, played a, a large part in the value of the actual net worth of TaylorMade as a company. Well, you know, something that's interesting and, and you think about the state of golf, Right. And where it's been in the last decade and where it is now, uh, I mean, five years ago when uh, TaylorMade was originally sold right from from uh, from Adidas, when Adidas sold them, golf, frankly, was in a really bad spot. Uh, I mean, uh, rounds played uh, were nearing all time, not all time lows, but they were they were in decline right in the late 2000s. Courses were closing. I mean. Uh, I, I know Nate knows, but w- one of my favorite courses in Jacksonville is the first course ever played in Jacksonville. Bay Meadows Golf Club, uh, Bay, Bay Meadows, uh, yeah, closed down right in the in the mid. I guess it was the the late two thousands, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and that trend has just been continuing. You know how many courses that we know have closed, and then fast forward to just what's happened during COVID, where the game has absolutely exploded, and you see all these rounds being played. I mean, try to get a tee time at your local Muni right now for this upcoming Saturday. 
And if golf is anything, you know, if California golf is indicative of what it's like in Florida or North Carolina, uh, you're too late. You can't get that tee time on Saturday morning because they're booked. There's nothing available, um, which is it's a really it's really good for the game. And this deal just shows how good it is. And it, it, it's also kind of interesting. You mentioned, Nate, about kind of the, the Korean aspect to it. I had to look this up. But so this was the largest uh, deal in golf. Uh, so far, right, in, that, that we've had. The second largest deal was when a Kushnet was sold, which they own Titleist and, and a couple other groups, right? Fila. Um, doesn't doesn't Fila, like, aren't that, isn't that ownership group involved in that Titleist? Is yeah. Fila, which is a, also a Korean-based company. Right. Um, so really interesting, right, that that's, uh, don't know if that means anything. That might not mean anything. It might just be a coincidence, but it's just, it's, it's interesting, right? Um where the game is growing. And I, I think it's good for TaylorMade. Um, I think it's good for golf. Uh, the more of these deals happen, the more money flows into the game, uh, the more courses are built, the better clubs that are, and the more fun we all can have playing the game we love. Yeah. One of the things I, I, I learned uh, when, you know, uh, we have a uh, closet episode we have not yet released yet. We're talking about golf balls and like what golf ball you should play. Um, and, uh, but the uh, when I was doing research on golf balls, I actually found out that Nike, when Nike was producing golf balls, it was actually a Korean manufacturer that was producing their golf ball. Huh. Um, and so that that to me was interesting. Um, that I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder what type of you know, if there's an impact that at TaylorMade, maybe it's a maybe it's something like the golf ball changes. A little well, bit, I'll tell you know, I'll tell all, those all kinds of listeners. Things. No problem buying a Korean-based golf ball or golf club. When it comes to your car, I highly <laughs> recommend you look a little further south to the island of Japan. So that's just my, that's right. just my, uh, my feeling. So. That's awesome. So before you know it, you know, we're Derek and I, not only are we going to have our tailor-made drivers, but we may have our Kias and Hyundais as well. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, uh, so – as I was looking ahead to the PGA Championship, which we'll talk more about, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and maybe even this week as we talk about some Rory stuff. Uh, but but as I was looking ahead to the PGA Championship and doing some research, one of the things that I really found interesting was the the story uh, of the 1991 Ryder Cup that happened at Kiowa. Um I didn't one. I didn't know that Kiowa had been around that long. I didn't realize that Kiowa was a resort that was built, or at least that golf course was built sometime in the mid to late 1970s, um, and then has consistently been ranked. Uh, obviously, we know it's at the, at the top right now of courses that you can play in the United States. We talked about that last week, um, and it's also it usually ranks as one of the top 100 courses. Period in America, uh, pretty high up on the list. And, um, and it's just one of those things that like, I didn't realize, um, that, that it had been around that long and that it had such a long history of, of just success and, and, and really being a premier golf course. Uh, I thought it was more kind of a, a recent thing that had happened since the PGA championship went there in 2012. And, and yet I I was very pleasantly surprised when I began to read a little bit about the history and found out about the 1991 Ryder Cup that was hosted there um, and just the contentious a- atmosphere that it was. 
Uh, they called it the war by the shore. And I thought the most fascinating thing about it was the United States ended up winning the Ryder Cup that year, 14 and a half to 13 and a half. And, uh, and, and the way that they won was Bernhard Langer had a par putt on the very final hole um, in his singles match on Sunday. So if he makes this six-foot par putt, they have um, the match. And if they have the match, they have the Ryder Cup. And Europe retains the Ryder Cup for its third consecutive uh, you know, Ryder Cup. And so, uh, it had been, it had been, I think eight years or, or somewhere around there, eight years since 1983, I think since the U S had won a Ryder Cup. Um, and, uh, and, and so the, uh, they were, they were in this, uh, this mode of where Europe was getting ready to win. If he makes this putt and he misses the putt and the U S wins 14 and a half, 13 and a half. However, there was even a there was a there was a controversy that like under uh, underneath all of that of where Steve Pate, one of the United States Ryder Cup members, got hurt the night before the first and um, first session of the Ryder Cup. He hurt his ribs um, and and so he was unable to play until late. Uh, in the in the kind of the last uh, session before singles, so kind of the second session on Saturday, he played that, and that was the only session he played uh, throughout the entire Ryder Cup. And uh, and he played. They lost their match on Saturday, and and he was so unhealthy that he said like, "There's no way he can play a singles match on Sunday." Uh, but instead of at the beginning of the week after he got hurt, bringing in an alternate to play in his place, the United States States kept him on the team in hopes that he might be able to play at some point. Uh, but when it came down to the fact that he couldn't play a singles match and he had to, you know, basically throw in the towel and say, hey, I can't play, it wasn't an, a forfeit or an automatic point for Europe. It was a half. It was an automatic half. And so potentially if he would have had to either play that or if he would have just automatically been caused the forfeit of that, Europe would have ultimately ended up winning that Ryder Cup. And so there's a lot of controversy there of, you know, was that, you know, is that the right rule and those kinds of things. And it just takes you back because, I mean, I know watching the Ryder Cup over the last 10 years since I've been watching it, how contentious it is. But it's always been that way. And um, and and that this was, you know, this was a contentious event way back then. Uh, there were some great names in this Ryder Cup as well, like Jose Maria Olafable. Uh, you know, uh, David Faraday, you guys would recognize Ian Woosman, uh, Seve Ballesteros, Bernhard Langer. Uh, I mean, just Nick Faldo uh, was a captain's pick uh, in 1991, which I found surprising as well that he was a captain's pick. Um, but like just some of these guys that like you would definitely recognize, obviously Colin Montgomery. Uh, on the U.S. side, you had Fred Couples and Payne Stewart and Hale Irwin and Corey Pavin and Paul Azinger, Mark O'Meara, Mark Calcavecchia, um, Raymond Floyd. Like you had these these great names in kind of uh, in the golf world in the late '80s, you know, through the '90s, and um, just so so I can just imagine like watching this. And so I don't know if these ever get replayed, but man, I hope if at some point they do that this one does, because I would love to see how this actually played out uh, because it, it sounds like just reading the story. It sounds like something made for like a movie. Like it literally sounds like 
we we could see a movie made about this 1991 Ryder Cup that happened at Kiwa. Yeah, well, I think the Golf Channel does have you know like recap that they show from time to time. I know I've seen one about it, and it, it's really really interesting. Uh, there was a ton of drama leading up to that putt with Bernard Longer, who who struggled with putting his entire career. Right. So he had a belly putter. He had a broomstick putter. He had 15 different putter grips that he would use from time to time. <laughs> and and one of the things I think he was he playing Hale Irwin. I think Hale Irwin was in the anchor match against him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it might have been. And and like Hale Irwin is recounting like, I don't know why, like what unlucky thing he did to be stuck in that position. From from all, because I think they're twelve man teams even back then. So like of the twenty four men there, nobody would want to do that. You're right. So, like I don't care. He, like and Hale Irwin was always thought of as like a bulldog competitor. You know, like he's a guy who played DB at Colorado. I think like he was a football player who turned into a golfer, and that's why he always played well in the U.S. Opens and, and things like that. Right. Um. But he the the summary or the the recap that I saw. Like he really felt bad for Bernard Langer for being put in a very a situation where nobody could be successful, and and Bernard Langer was not a good putter historically throughout his career, and he ended up missing the putt and he falls to his knees, and you know the U.S. kind of celebrates and you kind of feel bad because you know that's not necessarily golf. You don't necessarily celebrate that the other guy misses. You know, right? It's one thing, um, yeah. Like what happened when Ben Crenshaw had a feeling? I think that one might have been a Valderrama or whatever. Where you know Justin Leonard makes that gigantic Leonard, cut. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and they all go You're run right. on the green. That's okay. Right. Like, celebrate that stuff. Don't celebrate. It's like you know celebrating when a guy misses a field goal or something. Yeah. You know, it's like right. Eh, yeah. Right. It just didn't feel. It didn't feel right. Um, but the tensions were high. Uh, there was a lot of rhetoric about you know the war at the shore because it was also the start of the the Gulf War as well. There was some camouflage and looking back, I don't think that stuff aged very well. To be honest with you, I think <laughs> I think no. culture just generally now has a different respect for the men and women that wear uniform and and represent this country. And you know we wouldn't trivialize like a Ryder Cup as being battle or war. Like I, I just don't think those the, those analogies don't exist anymore because of of how bad things it you know really are and so it, it's not something that would have been done and it's certainly something that didn't necessarily feel right when i was watching the the program that i saw because obviously i wasn't old enough to to remember that in 91 but bob and i actually talked about this because we got lucky enough to play uh kiowa in was it three or four weeks before they played the pga like it was fairly close to the tournament um and the the clubhouse is fairly modest for the the type of course that it is, um, but there are pictures everywhere of the Ryder Cup of you know past tournaments. It's it's a really cool place that really embraces the history of the course. And one of the things that that I want to add when we're talking about Kiowa is I think for a long time, and, and I don't think it has this this moniker anymore, but I believe at one point it had the highest rating of any course in the United States. I believe it. And so at, at for a, for a decade, maybe 15 years, it was the hardest course. And I think it was around that same time. I think it maybe. still does. Oh, actually. does it really? Okay. Yeah. 
But it, it, yeah. it's like one of not only is it one of the you know top five places you can play, one of the best twenty five courses in America, but it's also has the distinction of being one of the handful most difficult courses uh, in the country too. Especially when you know I, I don't know if we were lucky or unlucky, but the day that we were playing there, I mean, it was blowing thirty five at times. Oh yeah. It, it was yeah. hard. I mean, there's a there's a par a par three on the back when you make a turn. Is it 15? Maybe Bob. Yeah, the, the first hole that you turn yeah. back into the wind to go back towards the clubhouse on the back nine. Um, it, it immediately plays into the prevailing wind, which is back into your face. It's probably a 230 yard hole. Yep, par three. I, I yeah. mean, I had to hit three wood. That I consistently would hit 260, 265. I think Bob hit a driver on that. I, I hit a driver it, pretty good, actually, just off the back of the green. <laughs> and you hit your three wood directly on top of my ball, if you remember. It did. Like they went flying, and I actually got a horrible lie down there by that bunker. But <laughs> we'll we'll have to recap that on another time. There there was a very special ending to that match, too. So, I, I will say that, that that ending we're gonna have to cover at some point because it was extremely reminiscent of the Bernard Langer putt, uh, where one of us had about that exact same putt in the same spot to win, and the, the outcome was a little different. Unfortunately. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, but it depends on the perspective from which you're telling that story. The 18th hole is still my favorite hole for that reason. <laughs> the best, the best shot that I hit at. <laughs> At the ocean course that day was off a cart path on 18. Well, the, the 18 is, is another good example of a hole. You talk about how hard the course is, and a lot of courses have hard holes. But it's not typically hole after hole after hole. I mean, 18, and I forget exactly the length, but it, it's about 450 into the wind, up a slight slope, off to and it's dog leg to the right a little bit. And I remember we both hit decent drives, and I think I still had three wood to the green. I had and to hit I, a hybrid. I, I pushed yeah. it left. I, I was I was off to the left. But I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of par fours anywhere that I've got to go driver three wood to get to the green. That doesn't happen that often. Uh, but I did. I will say one more thing. I did see that. I think I well, I, well, I saw a stat that said, uh, as set up, the, the ocean course will play. I guess if you play it all the way back every single day, which we know they don't do, but all the way back at its longest yardage, it will be the longest course in major championship golf history. Yeah. It's going to be seven, wow. 78, 79. So basically oh, yeah. 7,900 yards. Yeah. Yeah. It's listed as 78, 49, um, with a course rating of 79.1 and a slope of 155. And that's of May 9th, uh, so just a few days ago. So um, that's – I mean that is that is seriously hard. Like that is seriously hard. Uh, so it says it's the highest uh, – it's the highest course rating in the country according to the U.S. Golf Association. So there you go. It's uh, – yeah, definitely – Definitely takes the cake as, if not the hardest, one of the hardest golf courses on the planet. So, um, yeah, but I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to see the PGA back there. And obviously it makes it even more impressive to know how good those guys are when they go there and do maybe even what Rory did in 2012, you know, after, you know, and knowing, knowing the kind of golf course pedigree that it is, um, that the designer is Pete Dye, who obviously creates really tough golf courses, 
um, whether long or short, doesn't matter. They're intimidating and they are hard. Um, so, uh, but anyway, but I, I just thought it was interesting that, that, that Ryder cup to me, uh, I'm excited that this is a Ryder cup year. I always get excited about the Ryder cup, but like that to me is, uh, that, that was kind of a cool thing that I was reading this week. And I was like, you know what? I, I think this is something that probably needs a little bit more recognition. Um, cause I, I mean, I, I might've heard about it, but you know, I don't, I don't distinctly remember that story about how, um, how Steve Pate, you know, ultimately got a half by not playing so that to me uh that to me seems a little like i don't you would never get that if you you know decided not to show up for a basketball game so it's, well but that might have been agreed to because the way the writer cup is governed there's a set of rules that the captains agree to like a year in advance and so that sounds like something that would have been agreed to a year in advance like if somebody isn't able to play through injury then the whole, the, you know, the, the match is deemed halved as opposed to a win or a loss. That, that may just be written into the rules. It's kind of like one of those things where the captain of the, the, the home side gets to set up the course. Right. Yeah. And so the U.S. typically cuts down the rough and, and tries to make everything play, you know, really long because their guys typically hit it a little bit further than the Europeans do. Right. They typically want the greens to play really, really fast because the guys in Europe typically play a little bit slower greens because of the, you know, the, the weather yeah. that they play yeah. on. So right. it, it's one of those things where I think that might be written into the rules. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a, uh, it was, it was definitely an interesting story to read. If you don't know about it, go read about it. Maybe there is a documentary like Nate, uh, Nate was talking about golf channels done go watch about it, go, go learn about it. It's going to be uh, just one more reason they get you excited for the Ryder cup this year. If you go, uh, go research this a little bit. So anyway, uh, Bob, what do you have for us, man? So this week, you know, it, uh, for those of you who know me and, and have uh, been around me long enough, everyone knows that I'm a planner and we've talked about it on the pod before where I love planning stuff and I love things to be on schedule on time. And I know, I don't like surprises uh, on trips or, or anywhere, um, and I feel like there's a couple of guys on tour who are the same way. They're very detail-oriented, and I think Bryson DeChambeau is one of those people, and this weekend, it was uh, he had probably the most un-mad scientist event ever happen, right, where I, I, he... <laughs> He finished his Friday round, right, and he was in 90th place. He was three over. He was in 90th uh, and said, well, I guess I'm going home. I'm not making the cut. I may as well get an early flight, head back to Dallas, and, you know, get a couple of days rest and then, you know, prep for uh, the U.S. So I don't know if he's playing this week. Um, not the yeah, he PGA is. Championship. I would bet he has to be. Yeah, yeah, no, he is playing, playing in Dallas. Dallas. Okay, yeah. so, it, it, so fine. So he, he was going to do that. As he's on the plane, he gets word that the field is moving back, right? Weather conditions kind of got a little worse, and the field starts moving back. And all of a sudden, he's on the plane, and he realizes, holy cow, I made the cut. What do I do now? (laughs) And, you know, he goes through this – I saw an interview where he goes through kind of this decision matrix where he's like, well – I can turn the plane around right away, but the the crew only has so many flight hours they can do or or however that works. So he ends up going home. He works out, right? He has dinner. And then apparently he goes to bed and he gets up and he catches a like 2.30 a.m. flight back to Charlotte. Uh, And it just, 
it, he ends up having a great weekend. I mean, you know, he uh, <laughs> he kind of backdoored a top ten, and it was it was it was really um, on on Saturday. I think he doubled or tripled the last hole. Yeah, um, he where, did that on. Didn't he do it on Sunday too? I think he, yeah, I, I think so. Where had he not had those bad, he might have been right up there. I, I don't know if he ever was going to be in contention to catch Rory, but you know, he, he might have had a top five had he not had any of that happen. But um, that's crazy. It's uh, it's just crazy, and I, it. Uh, I, I just thought that was one of the funnier stories from a guy who is so precise in everything he does, uh, and that just happens to him. I was like, well, that's. Uh, it made me feel better about myself. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, if Bryson does it, then it's okay. We, we, we Everyone's got one mulligan. So there, there we go. That's funny. Like the, one of the, one of the things that I thought was really funny when listening to him talk about that was the workout, which you, you mentioned right. is that like he got home and he goes, well, you know, if I'm here, might as well, you know, sleep in my own bed. So, you know, I got my workout in, but then, he, but then he said, like, and I think this is almost like almost an exact quote. It's probably not. Don't don't like it's not an exact quote, but it's something like this. It's like, yeah, you know, I got my workout in. I drank four or five protein shakes, and I went to bed about nine o'clock. Yeah. But it's like you drank four or five protein shakes. Like that was what I stood out to me. Like I was like, why are you drinking so many protein shakes? I thought before? he wasn't trying to bulk up anymore. I know. I story? thought he was done with that. Yeah. yeah. But he he did. That is. I, I that was exactly his interview. It's like I had a I had a couple of protein shakes and then just a sack. I'm like, whoa. That's- well, I think he also like it's kind of the mad scientist, right? Like, there's no mad scientist that doesn't want to be known as the mad scientist. Right. right. And so I think he likes the shock and awe of like, yeah, I, I ate four pizzas and 17 eggs and <laughs> a side of bacon this morning. He is like, Gaston. I went out and caught Recreated. a chicken, killed it and fried it. Yeah, Right. Like he's that guy who like, you do what? Like, oh, yeah, no, it's science. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude. Oh, no, it's science. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like he's got this all figured out. And everybody yeah. else is the crazy one. Yeah, Gordon, man. Gordon Ramsay is a scientist now, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, yeah, no, that that was definitely a funny story. And uh, but you know what? I do think we all know somebody who might be very likely to do something very similar. So I don't very very true. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, well, uh, well, let's go ahead and move on just to uh, to the cool aspects of this week uh, that we got to. Witness and seeing Rory win again for the first time in over a year and a half. Um, really cool. Obviously, we we were talking about Rory last week. I don't think any of us th- thought or gave really Rory a chance of of doing anything more than making the cut. And uh, and not only did he make the cut, but he, he he just played he played great really for three days, and he hung together on the first day. Uh, a little injured apparently, and. Uh, and ended up coming out the the winner for the third time at the Wells Fargo Championship. So obviously loves Quell Hollow, loves this golf course. Um, I mean, what what did you guys take away from from just kind of uh, the coverage, the, the, cover- the highlights, the the storylines? Like, what what did you guys really take away from from watching and and seeing him kind of come back to form this week? Well, so I'll add up front. I, I thought it was a really bad sign, and I think we all texted about it once I saw it. But there was a report early in the week that he had switched back to his Rory prototype blades from TaylorMade, which are you know one one iron 
uh, addition a go for him, um, which I never think it's a good idea that a pro is changing clubs kind of in the middle of a season. I don't think that's a, that's not typically a good idea. You know, their manufacturer doesn't want them to do that because it kind of shows that their current stuff isn't as good as it could be. And so, you know, uh, there's a ton of incentive for everybody to make the current model work for everybody. Um, Manufacturer, player, coach, you know, there, there's a ton of reasons why you'd want to do that. So when you see a guy, Switching clubs, typically that's a sign like they're looking for something or they're searching, which I know was consistent with what I think I said about Rory last week. Right? Is he as far off as we think he is? No. But is he in a position to win? Probably not either. Right. Right? There's going to be some loose shots like that. That's that's Rory's game generally anyway, much less when he's working through some potential swing changes, some different feels, you know, whatever you want to call that, working with a new coach. Um, So that's what was most impressive to me was that. And and maybe it's the, the horses for courses. Maybe he felt a, a comfort level with Quail Hollow. He had a bunch of great feelings around the course, you know, being the fact that he's he's won there and um, it, it worked out really well for him outside of the 18th hole um, on Sunday, which was a surprise when he hooked his, you know, he we'll call it a hook. That was a hook. Yeah. He was trying to. He, he double. He double crossed. It was a snap hook. Yeah, yeah definitely. He, he double. Well, it's not a snap hook. I've seen Bob off the Cimarron <laughs> under pressure. That's not what Rory did. If we're being honest here, oh. um, <laughs> that was that wasn't a Whitney situation. Yeah. But um, I, I was surprised when he hit that. I, I was actually at my parents' house, and I told you guys this story. I was at my parents' house cooking dinner for my my mom and dad. Uh, with my two guys, uh, my two little guys, uh, hanging out for Mother's Day. And I was getting ready to walk out the door to go put stuff on the grill, figuring it was over, right? Rory's got a two-shot lead. It's the last hole. Make a bogey, you know, win comfortably. And he did make a bogey, but he didn't necessarily win comfortably (laughs) after what happened. Um, But I I think it it bodes really well for him. I I think, you know, the fact that he can win while he's still looking – Hopefully what, what we all want Rory to do and, and any other pro, frankly, I, I think it probably applies a lot to Brooks Kepka. I think we talk about it and how he flips a switch around majors. Dustin just kind of generally seems disinterested most of the time. Um, <laughs> and Tiger always seemed to kind of, especially later in his career, didn't necessarily seem to show up with his best stuff all the time because he just didn't play very often. But right. all you really want from a top tour pro is somebody who's hungry and is trying their best, focusing with the intensity that it takes to win. Right. And that's what it looks like Rory's got back, which I think is great because I think everybody likes Rory. Um, it would be you, You'd be hard-pressed to find a reason why you don't like Rory McIlroy. If, if there's one interview you can watch on a weekly basis, and I always try to find it uh, on social mm-hmm. media. The, right. the tour does a really good job of posting kind of some – um, yeah, the the interviews that the players do before the week starts, Rory is a great listen. He is a he's a really intelligent person. He has great perspectives. He he tells you exactly like he sees it. There's no BSing. There's no kind of corporate. Do I want to say this and not tick somebody off or like he is very honest and he tells you exactly what he thinks. Not that I always agree with Rory, but in a world of kind of sterilization for lack of a better term you do not get any of that from rory mcelroy and i think the game is better for it because he's there yeah i would agree i mean i just i love his authenticity i love how uh vulnerable he is i i I love the fact that he's not 
trying to, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure that he's probably said some things that, that some of the companies that endorse him and, and some of the companies that back him are not necessarily fond of, but, um, but I, you know, I think they know the kind of golfer that he is. And so they never would come out and maybe, maybe say that, uh, publicly, but I'm sure that there have probably been some conversations behind closed doors about, Hey, maybe don't be so hard on the, the, you know, uh, the PGA tour or whatever. But, but I do think that it's refreshing for golf fans, which is good for those companies as well. So there's like that double-edged sword of, well, how much do we let him do and how much do we let him say? Uh, and how much is it good for us and how much is it bad for us? Like all that kind of stuff, uh, that they have to wrestle with. But, um, but man, I, I, I love it. I mean, I, 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 he's my favorite golfer, uh, bar none, like without a doubt, uh, he's the, the guy I want to watch more than anybody else. And, uh, and so I was, I was thrilled to see him play well. Um, I texted you guys that on Friday when, after he, you know, had a five under round, I uh, got to four under for the tournament and, and kind of put himself in a position where if he played well the last two days, he might get close. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, he was able to do that. But, but I think, uh, probably the thing that came out of this for me was he's he's had he's had one other streak in his career where he's gone longer without winning, uh, and I think it was from 2012 to 2014, and I think it was like a year and eight months or a year and nine months or something like that. So a few more months uh, longer. Uh, but he when he broke out, he won. He won at the Open Championship in 2014, and then he went on to win uh, the, the, uh, WGC at Firestone and the PGA championship at Valhalla that same year. So I I feel like Rory is in the perfect spot. And this is, I think probably what excites me more than anything is that based off of his past like career, um, you would have to think if, if he is, uh, if he's won a golf tournament, it gives him the confidence to go into the next golf tournament, believing that like, all right, guys, like if I if I play well, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat me. And his next golf tournament just happens to be at the PGA Championship, which is a major tournament at a golf course where he won by eight shots. So I don't know that you could have a more confident Rory McIlroy than the one we have right now. And that really is exciting for, I think, the game of golf and for what's about to happen at the PGA Championship. Well, and I think you nailed it there, Derek. I mean, we we love, at least I do, and I, I know, I, I think the public, we like to see our stars play well, right? We want to see the the Rorys, the DJs, Brooks, and Jordan. And we, we want them all to play really well because who doesn't want a Sunday at Kiowa on the back nine when you've got four or five of the, the big names all battling out right at the end? Like, that's that, that's what makes it fun. That's what, you know, we want to see. Uh, I mean, growing up, I, I watched Tiger a lot, and you always wanted to see him at the end. You wanted to see him playing Ernie Els or Phil Mickelson or Vijay Singh, right? That, that's what you wanted to see. Um, so I, that's I, – like Nate, I, I didn't really uh, think Rory was going to win. And, and, in fact, in my fantasy league, I had the choice between Tony Finau and Rory, and they were uh. sitting, sitting right there. And um, I had uh, someone in my head who said Finau's going to win by a million, knowing <laughs> that Rory's on new clubs. And I'm like, this is a no-brainer. I take fee now, and I go cash my check on Thursday night. Uh, <laughs> that clearly yeah. didn't, didn't work. But it, it uh, <laughs> it's great. I love that he, he won and he played well. 
Um, I'll tell you something that stood out to me. There's, there's two things. One, and we traded some text about this, and I really wanted to see it happen, but Ricky had a pretty good uh, a Thursday and then fell apart. And I, I really I, I kind of fear for Ricky Fowler and what his uh, future career might look like because he can't seem to find it when it really matters. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like he's kind of fading off, kind of like what David Duvall did, right, and, and really struggled to find his game. Uh, after some really good golf. Um, so I hope it doesn't happen to Ricky, but it, it's starting to look that way. Uh, but on the other side, um, Abraham Answer has had the, a great month and a guy trending in the right direction. Now, yeah. At first, I thought you know he was only he was playing well at courses that tended to be more shot makers courses, right? Um, like Harbor Town, uh, like at Copperhead last week. Yeah, Valspar, exactly. But I. It, you know, um, Quill Hollow is not Valspar. It, that is a uh, big boy course, and he, he played well. He, he didn't win, right? But um, I, that's a guy I'm going to watch uh, as maybe a breakout kind of in the second half of the summer uh, for him to win a couple of times or at least once and, uh, you know, see what uh, what kind of noise he can make. But uh, that, that's kind of what I took away from it. Well, and I think the same goes for Brian Harmon. Your yeah. your little your little yeah. lefty was up yeah. on the leaderboard for a while too. But, great, yeah. But other than those two guys, though, the other guys on the leaderboard, you know, when I kind of caught a little bit of the coverage on Saturday and then watched most of the back nine on Sunday, were kind of the typical characters that you would yeah. think of at a big ballpark, right? Yeah. Gary Gary Woodland, Keith Mitchell, Luke List, guys who hit the ball a mile, right? Um, d- yeah. Don't right necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, don't necessarily have the best short game and, and don't really make putts when they need to. But, man, if, if there's anything better than Gary Woodland's shot tracer, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't found it. Man, that guy smokes the ball. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, mean, I would say the only thing that really I, I enjoy watching more is watching Bryson take lines over trees and watch yeah. shot tracer on those shots where he's yeah. hitting it, you know, 390 um it's it's insane uh but you know i i really um you know there there were a couple of things that stood out to me outside of rory one was just how well phil played on thursday um and man just it would have been so great if he could have kept it together like even just to shoot even par from that point in uh you know and finish you know just a couple shots out of the lead would have been so cool uh to have him in the mix throughout the week um, as opposed to just on on Thursday, uh, but it was just nice to see him compete and play well, and and he looked in I mean in great form. I was watching on Thursday, and he was just going after pins like I I haven't seen Phil do that in a long time, where it was just like I didn't I, he just I didn't feel like he could miss a shot, and it was like one of those vintage Phil kind of moments where you're like oh yeah this is why. Phil was the number two golfer in the world about as long as Tiger was number one in the world. You know, like uh, it, it was just kind of one of those feelings for me uh, of just of just cool nostalgia, watching him play well uh, and those kinds of things. And um, and then, you know, the uh, the other thing that like I really um, thought was was intriguing and was interesting was um you know, and I think, you know, maybe maybe Nate was talking about this before the pod or or maybe it was, you know, maybe he talked about it kind of in the opening, uh, but was how much uh, 
credit was given to Harry Diamond on that last hole after Rory hit that shot. Uh, that was, you know, kind of hard left turning over the creek, got like in a really bad lie into the hazard, uh, not in the water, but in the hazard. Um, and, and just how much influence Harry had with slowing Rory down before he got in there and just chopped it out with a lob wedge and potentially caused more issues for himself, but got Rory to slow down long enough to say, well, what's really our best option here to make a bogey? Cause we have two shots to play with. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, that was great caddying and it, it was interesting how they, how he talked to Rory which I think is indicative of a really good caddy. He didn't try to, you know, you hear some stories on tour about guys trying to dictate like, no, this is seven, right? Like, why would you ever, if you were a caddy, why would you ever talk to your guy like that? No, 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 no. We need to go nine here. Like that, that's just not the mentality that you want to, you know, that's not the communication style that that's not the, the vibes that you want to give off. Like the communication that you could hear. And it was actually picked up on, on the mics was, you know, he was asking questions like Rory's. So what do you, what do you see here? Right. So he's, he's trying to kind of hear Rory's thoughts. And I think he's really just trying to have Rory think about his thoughts. Right. Um, yeah. And, and kind of the, the turning moment was like, yeah, you know, I can just kind of chop this down and, and it can go right up here in the fairway. And he goes, yeah. Or, or maybe that bank right there too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. But he said it, but he, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be funny or sarcastic. Like he was trying to say like, well, maybe you'd hit into that bank without saying like, Ooh, man, I wouldn't do that. I definitely see that going straight into that bank and down in the water. Right. Right. And he's right. like, well, but you could drop up here. Right. Like, wouldn't this be where you would drop? Like it was very collaborative, very like trying to get Rory to think, not necessarily do the thinking for Rory. Right, right, which I think, which I think is is what really good caddies do is they try to give players tools, not dictate or tell them how to think or what to do because that's not ultimately going to be successful because you need him to reach a decision that he's going to be comfortable with, and and I don't think it could have turned out any better. He ends no. up taking the drop, the ball rolls across the hazard line, he gets to place it, hits the green, two putts for the win. Right, it worked out really well. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, and, it definitely, it definitely, who, who knows what happens. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what happens if he goes in there and tries to hack it out with a lob wedge. Yeah, definitely not what we would have done. Right. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think that that's one of the other things about the difference between like really good golfers and, and maybe this is what separates you guys from me from being a really good golfer and me you know, like getting in striking lightning in a bottle occasionally and having a good round. Uh, every so often, but like, but like the, the, the consistency to just go with the punches and not try and do too much and, and play, play smart, uh, golf that, that ultimately maybe isn't sexy, but gets the job done. Yeah. And how, how long does it take for a golfer to come to that realization? I mean, We've all played enough golf, and uh, at some point, you start realizing that, hey, I don't need to hit the Phil Mickelson hero shot every time. Uh, those guys on TV are a whole lot better than we are, uh, but uh, and we don't see the punch-outs right, on TV. You go to a tournament, and, and Nate, you've talked about this before. You've been to a lot of professional tournaments around Sawgrass. You see a lot of guys hit it all over the place. 
most of them punch out and then at worst they make a bogey and that's that's not the end of the world and that's right. uh that's just good course management that the good players understand and us hacks tend to try to you know hit that low cut around the tree uh that might work one out of ten but then that nine out of ten we're making triple yeah that's right, right. well I, I think ultimately that's the the really fine line and the and the margin that exists between guys who win on tour and guys who finish top 10 is throughout right. the course of the week they make one better decision than those other guys right or yeah. they, they make a, a you know literally one more putt during the week and it's crazy to think over the course of four rounds you know one shot is the difference and so whether that comes from hitting a great shot or even to Derek's point, really slowing things down and having some form of mental clarity so that you can make a really good decision and and do what's prudent, knowing that you know you just don't want to lose anything. Uh, you don't want to lose the tournament. You know, Rory I think does that more than anybody, more than any other really good player. Is that I think sometimes, and maybe Spieth is up there with him as well recently. <laughs> but yeah. you know, they seem to do really dumb things early in tournaments. That right. if it was Sunday, those guys would like just be criticized to the end of the earth. Mm-hmm. But because it's early on, everybody says, ah, it's Thursday, and they shot themselves out of it. No big deal. But if it was Sunday and they were under pressure, they would be, you know, there's no way these guys can deal with with the pressure. So it's it's interesting how hopefully some of this stuff will carry over and, and Rory can use it the the rest of the year moving forward because I I, I think his win certainly changes our outlook of the status of his game. And whether this indicates that he's back or that he's really, really close, or if what I think, Derek, what you probably think about Rory, I know what I think about Rory, is that he's talented enough to win with his B-minus stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, either, he won by, either he won way. By one shot. He won by one shot over Keith Mitchell. Either uh, way, so, it's a really good sign for the rest of the year. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it, like in 2012, that was his A game. He wins by eight. So, well, and he's, yeah. he's done that at Congressional, the U.S. Open, right. and things like right. that, too. So, yeah. And I, and I mean, I think he kind of did that in, in, in 2014 when he won at, at Firestone and when he won at the PGA, he kind of was in that same form of where you just weren't going to touch him. And, um, but like, yeah, I feel like he did def- he definitely didn't have his best stuff. Like, I mean, he drove it all over the map all week long. And yet was able to, you know, um, capitalize when he hit it well. He was able to miss in the right spots near the greens, give himself good good opportunities to get it up and down from off the greens. He was number one in the field in strokes gained putting on the week, uh, which I think was underrated about how many par putts he had to save on Thursday just to shoot one over um, and and get in at one over on the, on Thursday. Um like he played injured. I mean, like he, he talked about this in his post round presser after Sunday was that like, he was, if he would have had to play Thursday morning, if he would have had tea off Thursday morning, instead of Thursday afternoon, he would have withdrawn because he did, he couldn't take a backswing because his neck was so locked up. Um, I mean, it's just like those kinds of things like tell you like, man, like he's a really special guy. Uh, if you can go out and you can win with all of those things, not going well, <laughs> And and still go out and end up winning a professional golf tournament. I mean, I, I obviously he knows the golf course really well, but I mean he putted incredibly well, which has always been kind of like if his putter is on, he's hard to beat. Um, 
just because he drives it so much further than everybody else for the most part. Well, he's and, that much better. Yeah. Well, and I, it, I would. And he, and he hits and he hits a ton of greens. And so if he can, it, his proximity is not always that great. But if he can get the putter going, like he's he's always going to have a chance. Right. Or if he it, leads yeah. the field in putting, I I would I would venture that in every tournament where he's led the field in putting, he's won. Yeah. I, w- oh, I would like, I would yeah. agree with that. I, I I think it would be hard for him to lose a tournament where he's leading. The if field if he like he's, said, right? he's always near the top in strokes gained off the tee. Correct. Well, yeah. and even just the ball striking stats generally. Right. Um. Outside of there was that one period of time where he really didn't hit his wedges very well, and that led to some inconsistent. Well, he just distance control was a struggle. Right. But when he straightens that stuff out and he makes putts, he, you know he he's unbeatable. So. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like moving forward for sure, because this is a really good time for golf, right? Especially going into Kiowa, we have, you know, Rory looking good, JT playing really, really well. And right. that's, that's Dustin's backyard, the number right. one player in the world. I mean, that's basically the, you know, his backyard. So yeah. it, it'll he be would, interesting. Stop jumping off of boats, doing backflips, maybe. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think that's Dustin though, but yeah, but still it, on, it should, it should set up for some really interesting, uh, drama, hopefully. Not to mention there's only one player in the world right now who can win all four majors this year. And that's uh that, that's our, our Japanese guy, Matsuyama. No. He's coming back now. Oh man. Yeah. Bob. Only one. Rooting for the Japanese. It's kind of like, uh, what they say when you birdie the first hole, right? can't birdie them all if you don't birdie the first one that's right that's right i've only done that a couple times <laughs> all right well um well I, th- I think it's fascinating this past week was uh was a great uh opportunity to watch golf uh I-, I think i told you guys this last week i might have told you guys this but i was really bummed when rory ended up winning but like somebody offered uh us tickets to go down to the wells fargo this past sunday uh, obviously it's mother's day and I work on Sundays, so it's, it, it wasn't something I could do. Uh, but it was all you can eat, all you can drink on 17. <laughs> oh, like, nice, oh, man. Oh, I can't believe I couldn't take those tickets. Uh, so anyway, but, uh, it would have been great to, to go to Quahalo and experience that place for the first time too. Um, but anyway, we'll get there one day. We'll get there one day. Um, but it's, uh, but it was cool to watch and, and experience and, uh, looking forward to to seeing how Rory shows up at the at the PGA. But before we get to the PGA, we have the Byron Nelson that happens in Dallas this week. Uh, obviously, some some really big names in the field: Dustin Johnson's in the field, Jordan Spieth's in the field, Bryson DeChambeau's in the field. Uh, so lots of lots of big names in the field this week as well. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of great guys to choose from. Uh, when it comes to this, I mean, I'd be interested to see who you guys are looking at to potentially uh, walk away with uh, with the victory this week. Uh, Bob, do you do you have uh, a feel? You know, I was uh, I, I'm caught between a couple of Texans. Um, I think uh, Jordan is always a good pick anywhere in Texas. Um, so I, I I'm I, I'm leaning either towards Jordan uh, or Ryan Palmer. Uh, one of the two. I, if, if I had to pick it, I, I just go Jordan with the name because I, I don't think Palmer wins the event, but I think he plays well. But uh, I, I got to go with uh, Jordan Spieth. I'm in the same boat. I like Spieth. I, I don't know if you guys saw the um, 
the report that came out that he had COVID a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not. He, I didn't. Yeah. See that. Yeah. So he, that, I guess that came out probably today. Wow. T- today or yesterday, but he had it a couple weeks ago, said he's feeling fine now. So should be good. Um, you know, it's, it's played, I think at Craig ranch, TPC Craig ranch this year, which yeah. is a, which is a new venue. I work, we have a, an office in Dallas and, uh, and, some of the guys play out at Craig Ranch from time to time. I've never played there, but uh, hopefully to make it out there later this year and maybe I'll, I'll get a chance to play. But they say it's a great track um, and look forward to, to Spieth playing. I think Tony Romo may be playing, if, if I heard that oh. correctly. Somebody mentioned that. Um, and I don't know if that's just like a pro-am thing or if he's actually in the true field, like the tour gave him a spot. I don't know. I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, if they right. did, uh, but it should be, should be a lot of fun. I think in, in preparation for the PGA. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with Scotty Scheffler. Oh, good pick ah, there. Yeah. Texas think, guy, Texas guy. Obviously he's been in some good form as of this spring, uh, playing well, has some good momentum going. Uh, it has some familiarity with the golf course, uh, in this area, like those kinds of things, I think he'll be comfortable. Uh, and I think, you know, you have to, I, I don't know. I expect him to come out and play well and, uh, and really compete. Um, I hope he does, uh, because I don't think, you know, my pick last week really did any justice to, uh, my ability to make picks at all. So, um, but, Willie, and, Willie Z last year, last, last week, right? Right. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, isn't this his home course? Uh, yeah, and and I think there are some people who think that like he could potentially uh, end up playing, uh, you know, his way into you know potentially even winning this week. But um, but you know, obviously, I don't know. I, th- I think you know, like we've talked about, uh, it's really hard to follow up a low round with another low round. Um, he's played really really well, made a bunch of cuts. Uh, this year, obviously, and 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 has has made a name for himself, but he played so well at the Masters, and I think people are are really expecting him to come out and play even better and even better and even better and really kind of stay in that form all the time. And I just think that's really really difficult uh, for a guy that hasn't been there that much, and who also probably has a lot of other things that are he's experiencing for the first time as a professional golfer of really gaining some some fame and uh, recognition. Uh, that that he's never really had before. So I'm uh, not saying he can't handle it or that he won't handle it. Well, I think he will. I think he's going to win a bunch on tour. I just, you know, I think he might still be kind of in that mode of where he's trying to uh, figure out how do I follow up my performance at the Masters right now. Um, and he might feel more pressure than than freedom, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, yeah he's he's a little green. Uh, but speaking of picks last week, I no longer think Tony Finau is going to win by a million. <laughs> I, I was really disappointed. Uh, I had a chance. So my pick in the uh, in the office pool, I think I chose sixth, but essentially six out of eight. But essentially my picks were Finau or Victor Hovland. Those were the two oh. guys that no. I had available yeah. to me. Um, Vic would have been the guy. Vic would have been the guy. He Somebody ended up. Uh, picking Rory, so the the last guy I had a chance to pick Rory, but I certainly wasn't going to pick him. Yeah, um, based on what I thought he was going to do, 
but uh, I had a choice between Vic and and Tony and and went with Tony. So I think I'm going to have to put Tony up on the shelf for a while. I think kind of the maybe some of the same situation, not necessarily learning it for the first time, but it, it's hard to play really good golf that consistently. Right. You you you're going to have weeks where you're just off, and that's okay. Uh, but hopefully what you do is you kind of ride that that wave of momentum for a while and then you kind of come down off of it, you rest for a couple weeks and then you come back and you peak at the right time in the middle of the season. So whether we're talking about Willie Z or, or whether we're talking about Tony Finau, I, I think those guys will be back and I'll be picking them again later this year. Yeah. It's just I'm no longer thinking that the Finau victory, the, the floodgate opening victory is imminent. It it may have to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would probably agree with that. I think, I I you know I think that there's probably that that getting close fatigue that I talked about with Jordan, which is why I thought he needed to get over the hump before the Masters, um, and and really win again. It's because I think the closer you get with like the more and more you do it, I think it's happening with Fina. I think it's happening with, uh, you know, uh, Shoffley. I, I mean, I think you, you have these guys uh, who have gotten so close so often and just have not come through that, like, you have to feel like, man, like, is it ever going to happen? Like, I I feel like I'm doing everything right. And then even when I play well, someone else plays better or, um, you know, I just lose it on, you know, a or hole hit. or two. Yeah, right. That's right. I, I, you know, there, there are three swings. shots that like I just yeah. need back, you know, like whatever it is. And um, and and then that pressure just continues to build every time you get in that position because like, oh, I don't want to do that again. Um, you know, what guy's going to come up and get me this time? You know, like whatever it is. And it's it's that constant feeling, that constant thought going through your mind and going through your head. I think. I think that's that that closeness fatigue is is really starting to set in for Finau and and guys like even Xander, um, and and I think it you know I think they need some time away from the leaderboard actually to to uh, to probably get back up there and pull it out. I still think Xander may be uh, you know high on the list of you know he's probably. I mean, I don't want to, he's right there on the edge of the top five favorites going into the PGA, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I but I, he, all he would be in the conversation, I would think. Yeah. But, well, all I'm saying, yeah. Finau, who I think is still what, eighth, ninth in the world? Yeah. Something like that, maybe seventh. But, you know, I don't think, I don't see Finau on that same level as Shoffley yet in terms of, favorites to win tournaments Tony Finau is currently ranked 13th oh is he really yeah oh see I thought I saw the world golf rankings and okay I mean it I mean I when you said seventh or eighth I thought that was maybe a little bit high but I I wouldn't be surprised if he was there so well uh, I'm always confused by the world golf rankings to be honest with you yeah (laughs) as a guy who watches golf every week like I mean whether it's Golf Central, Golf Channel, or the tournament that is happening, right. I feel like I'm really informed. And the go- the World Golf Rankings don't necessarily reflect what is happening in the right. world of golf because there's the 24-month lead time, right? Yeah. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, yeah, and, and right. not to say guys shouldn't get credit, but 
you know, that that's the reason why, you know, you, you have a guy who's playing really well and, and he may not have necessarily realized the bump from all of those finishes until a couple other guys get adjusted down a little bit, which is really what's more. And that's what I really don't like about the rankings. It seems to be more restrictive where you come down a lot faster than you go up. Oh, that's how Matthew Wolf right now is higher ranked than Jordan Spieth. Right, exactly. And I, I have – there's no way Wolf is anywhere near uh, any list to challenge any victory anytime soon. Um, where Spieth obviously is one of the heavy favorites in any tournament he's entering. So, Well, and has been for right. the better part of this year. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, and I mean, I would even say that Will Zalatoris is probably better than Matthew Wolf, right? Like, right. right now, absolutely. Some of those guys are, are, are better. Well, um, he doesn't have a tour win. Right. He right. doesn't have a tour Wolf, win. Wolf won last year. So, but, but also, I think countered maybe to your argument too, Nate, about rising quickly. I mean, Rory jumped eight spots this week. You know, I mean, he went from 15th to 7th with a win. So I think you can jump pretty quickly if you're if you're winning and playing well um you, you know i think i think it'll be really hard um I, the thing that surprises me is you know like patrick reed is eighth um you know terrell hatton which he was in the top five at one point is ninth webb simpson's 10 i mean some of the names in this like the top 10 players in the world are not guys that i would necessarily expect to be in there um Colin Morikawa six, I think you know that's largely based off the win at the PGA and then right and, the and win at WGC, yeah, at, yeah, concession, concession. Yeah. but you know, you, you but I mean, John Rom even like John Rom's third, third in the world, yeah, and and I don't I don't know, but I I don't feel like John Rom has been one of the top three players in the world this year. I I you mean, know? I feel like he has because again, it's so hard to win. Right. I can understand how you get a bump from winning. You should. But the reality in golf is only one guy wins and there's so 144 me, guys. So you and, think you think John Rahm has been better than Bryson DeChambeau? I mean, Rahm made 22 straight cuts up until this over, last week. Over that's, the last, that's pretty solid. Over the last 24 months. Yeah. I think it's probably close. Okay. I mean, they both. But, but John Rahm is one of those guys who, if I have a chance to pick him in my league at work, I I try to because he is always a guy who, if he's in the tournament, is going to be on the first page of the leaderboard on Sunday. Yeah, he's that guy. Like he's right. always there. Right. Like yeah, very yeah. rarely finishes outside of the top twenty-five. I mean, right. that that's kind of what Augusta was for him, right? He right. Yeah. Well, I guess showed yeah. up. I mean, I get what you're saying. And he's there. Yeah. He's he's always there. And uh, to your point, I mean, Bob, you you make a really great point that, you know, he hadn't missed a cut in a really long time. Um, you know, before him, it was uh, Xander and then Xander missed a cut or it was Rory and then it was Xander and then it was as John Rom. So, uh, you know, he hadn't missed a cut until this past weekend for a really long time. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I mean, obviously, I just think Bryson having won a major and having won at Bay Hill, I would, I would say, you know, I would think he's a more deserving number three in the world than, than John Rom. But I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong on that. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently, I am according to the stats. So, well, it'll be interesting. I don't know what the 
you know, the rankings are, but you would think if JT continues his form, he'll have a chance to get somewhat close to, to Dustin. Cause I would think Dustin's writing some of his performances from the very early part of this year and later last year. Well, right. But Dustin has also played seven less events than Justin Thomas, which I think is interesting. And he's still ahead of Justin Thomas in points by 18, by like 17 points, 18 points. Oh, is he really? So he has an 18 point lead and he's played in seven less events. Okay. So if Dustin Johnson would show up at golf tournaments and play, well, that's the, well, that's he, what would, everybody... he would probably run away from everyone else well, and probably no. never give up that spot. No, the water would find its level. As long as you're not entering tournaments, you're not dropping points. That's what everybody used to complain about Tiger back in the day, where he'd only play 15 times a year, 18 times a year. I don't think the World Golf Rankings affect you. It, like, it, it calculates your finishes. If you don't yeah. have finishes within a certain period of time, there's no points that count against you for not playing. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And so the problem in golf is you have to have a like John Rahm, right? You have to have a lot of those really high finishes all the time. And Dustin was doing that for a long time. I mean, we talked about on the podcast since we've been doing this for the last 15, 18 weeks about, you know, how his dominance much earlier in the season we haven't seen since Tiger. So right. it's not like it was that long ago. I don't want to be the recency bias guy, but it doesn't feel like that right. gap is that wide. No. As right. what the world golf rankings would show it to be. Oh, yeah, and and that might be true. I'm just saying, like, I think it would still take a lot for Justin Thomas to catch up. I, I mean, you know, I could I could be wrong there. I, I mean, mean, if, like, theoretically, right, if he wins right. the PGA, right, I, why wouldn't he be the number one ranked player in the world? Well, yeah, for sure. Well, but I don't, I guarantee you, I don't, I don't think that would happen. No, I don't know the no, math behind it, but yeah. he wouldn't be the number one ranked player in the world even though he had just won the players and the PGA. Right. Well, and, the and player, had a fairly high finish at the masters. Yeah. Well, and the player, I will say this, the player that's gaining the most points right now from a momentum standpoint, the, the, the three players that are gaining the most points and, and from a momentum standpoint are uh, Vic, well, for Victor Hovland, who's 11th in the world is gaining points rapidly as well as probably uh, the next, the, the ones that are at the top, uh, kind of at the top of this list who are gaining points faster than the guys at one, two, and three are Bryson, Xander, and Colin Morikawa. So all of those guys are gaining points at a, at a higher rate and a higher clip than Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, and John Rahm right now. Hmm. So right now, those three guys technically, I don't know if it's because they're playing more, but they're having more consistently high finishes, it would appear. Okay. Again, I just think that's overly confusing in terms of how to calculate the world golf ranking. I don't think it needs to be that complicated. Yeah. Well, you know, you calculate numbers a lot. You know, it's complicated. It's complicated stuff. It's not. That's the point. All right. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to sign off. Thank you guys for listening to tuning in. Make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. And uh, as always, uh, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, let us know uh, what, uh, what you guys are liking, uh, hearing about the podcast or on the podcast, uh, as well as uh, give us some ideas of things to hear 
uh, in the future. Um, as always, we're uh, we're excited to continue to do this and and bring this to you as uh, as we are just you know buddies talking about golf. So thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you guys next week, breaking down the Byron Nelson and looking ahead to this year's PGA Championship at Kiowa Island. So can't wait to be with you again. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later.